Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. The psalmist said, one thing I desire, and that one thing shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. God, the psalmist's prayer and the song that we sang, if we're honest, is an aspirational prayer and an aspirational song. We want you to be the one thing. And as we walk in here, we've come with so many things that have replaced you this week. We come with the baggage of idols. The career and the relationships and the finances and the daily grind. For many of us have prevailed to be the center of our lives. And we come collectively in this room, God, admitting that underneath all those longings, there's a deeper longing. There's something we want more, and it is you. And so God, we reprioritize our hearts this afternoon, and we say to you, you are that one thing. You are that one desire. And we pray that as we worship, and that as we pray, you be the refiner's fire. And burn away, God, all those things that are not like you. Oh, God, less of me, God. More of you. Work into my heart, God. Get into my agenda, God. Get into my motivations, God. Get underneath all that stuff. You know my thoughts, God. People see my words. People see my performance. But you, my God, you see inside of me. And I want to be clean, God. I want to be right, God. And so some of us in here tonight, we, we want to trust you more. We don't want to lean on our own understanding. We want to acknowledge you in all of our ways. And so even as we get ready to hear your word, God, we, we have already acknowledged we want to take a step of faith to trust you more in all things, God. And we're going to rest in that. God, tonight, what we don't need is wisdom from men. We don't need eloquence from a human. We don't need intelligence. We need the spirit of the living God to speak through a man, frail as he may be, but you would speak. And we would trust that your work would be a demonstration of the spirit of the living God. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would divide himself amongst this room and meet us where we're at. Yes. And then when we walk away from this place, we would say that you have spoken. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well. It's good to be able to worship, and it's good to be here again. Um, we have been walking and tracking through a series, and this series has really been about getting our people, 
getting all of us to see one major idea, that as you come into a relationship with God, John, in the book of John, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and as Jesus encounters this old man, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. When you come into a relationship with God, that's what happens. You become a new creation. You start again. And when you start again with God, at first you're going to be learning. You're going to learn how to operate with God with your words, how to operate with him with your finances, how to operate with him with your relationships. But there comes a point as you grow that we should be able to expect you to mature. That over time, maturity in the Christian life should become evident. And there oftentimes is a sense in which we can kind of be a spiritual daycare where everyone is okay with where you're at spiritually and I'm okay with where I'm at spiritually. And there's not this sense that we should challenge one another to grow. And this spirit, the, the spirit, the heart behind this series is that as three years being a church, you know, part of the hard, hardest things that we have is that a lot of us are around the same age. That some of our oldest members are 42 and 43 and that everybody's the same age. And so because of that, it's easy for everybody to look at each other and be like, wait, we're all cool. But the Bible does not say spiritual growth has anything to do with chronology. The Bible says basically that spiritual growth comes from disciplines, habits that we cultivate in our life over time. So you could technically be in the faith for two years, but be more grown than someone who's been in the faith 20 years. Time served does not equate to growth. And so the reason why this series is called Grow Up, it is a mandate. The Bible is mandating us to grow over time. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews was talking to the community there. And this is what he said. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers by now. That community had been around for about two or three years. He says, you should be able, by the pattern of your life, to be able to show someone what it's like to live the faith by this time. So the good thing is that he's saying, year one, year two, it's cool, we get it. You know what I'm saying? You're just figuring things out. You're trying to get yourself together. But over time, the author says, it's time for you to start rethinking growth. It's time for you to start challenging yourself to grow. As mentioned, habits are these unconscious tendencies that we cultivate. And we've talked about several habits already in this series that we believe that you must begin to work into your life consistently so that people can see a pattern in your life and follow you. Here's one thing I want you to understand and know. You do not have to be in leadership to have some, to, for you to be able to say, follow me. You do not have to go to seminary in order for you to say, follow me. You do not need to be in the faith 
long in order for you to say, follow me. And let me tell you this, we can't have everybody looking around just saying, who am I? I'm just, I can't, who am I? I'm jacked up. We can't have everybody doing that. At some point, someone's got to say, follow me. Praise God. <laughs> so several habits that <clears throat> we've talked about already was that, that the gospel is a habit and walking in the spirit is a habit and that we should always, a habit of your life is that you're always accepting the invitation of Jesus, that you know the good news of Jesus Christ means that it's not based upon your performance. It's based upon his performance. It's not based upon your work, it's based upon his work. So that no matter what I've done, he's always waiting to celebrate my presence amongst him. That I can always run back to him. And that you should not feel that you need to grow distant from God because you've not been consistent with God. Now, the other thing is walking by the Spirit. And so we talked about the Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity is, has been deposited into the life of the believer. And he is not there to just take up space and take up room. He is there to lead you. In fact, he has a name, Helper. He's there to help you. And the only way that you can experience the help of the Spirit is by the submission of the Christian. That you be walking moment by moment in submission to the Lord. And as you do that, you cultivate a life of power, his power, his strength. And he leads your life daily. And so these are habits that we have. And so those first two habits are really how you connect to God and how you grow in relationship with him. But this third habit is a habit where a lot of the rubber meets the road, where we tend to see really the, the maturity in your life. The third habit is reconciliation, being able to reconcile with people. It's so funny because sometimes when I do a series, I think, man, we're done with that. We don't need to talk about that again. We talked about that like, like six weeks ago, praise God. And then I reminded like, well, sin doesn't work like that. Like sin's not like, oh, that's the information? Cool, I'm out. Like sin doesn't work like that. In fact, temptation tends to increase with information. So the reality is we might, we might be in reconciliation for like two years, praise the Lord. But the fact of the matter is a mature Christian is a reconciling Christian. They have a habit of reconciling with people. And they keep short accounts with God and they keep short accounts with people. They are concerned about how people feel. This Saturday, we are doing an event in Flatbush called Everything You Want to Know About Love, Sex, and Dating. And I get it. I talk to some people. And there's some people like, yo, I'm amped. And there's some people like, yo, I'm not amped, right? It's <laughs> cool. And so, you know, it's cool. I, I'm, I'm okay. Criticism helps with something. I don't know. I, that sounded like, sounded like I need to say that. Um, uh, but no, I, I talk to some people. But here's, here's the bottom line. Our church is majority single people. And when I say majority, there's a capital M there. It's a lot of single people in here. And here's, here's what the truth is. When I get with people and I talk with them, 
I tend to ask them, tell me about your family situation. The majority, now this, is such, this has changed as I've gotten older. The majority of the people I talk to have not grown up in a two-parent home. So then I go below that. Then I get with people that are in a two-parent home. And then I ask them, tell me about the experience of being in that two-parent home. And their eyeballs almost roll out their head when I ask them those questions. It's like, oh my gosh, it was crazy, it was so hard, I can't stand my mom, I can't stand my dad. So then I ask them this question, what was your relationship, like what is the relationship between your mom and dad like? And here's what I have found. Most single people I have engaged either grew up in a home without seeing a marriage or they grew up in a home without seeing a successful marriage. But here's what I want to know, here's what I've realized, everybody wants to get married. So they haven't seen a successful marriage or they didn't see marriage at all, so they're going off intuition and they think intuition is going to get them a great relationship. And I'm telling you that you cannot look at a meme and have a great relationship. You can't, you can't look at, you can't look at a meme. You can't watch a 40 second video. I don't care what great quotes you hear. None of those are going to get into a great relationship. And something in your elusive mind makes you think you're going to be different than your parents. They thought the same thing you did. And so what I am doing with this event is because I know that we talk about this a lot because we have a lot of single people, we are going to get on mission and go to Flatbush and talk about a subject because you're like, I've talked about, so maybe you've talked about this three times, but we're dealing with people who have talked about it zero. And at some point, we, you've got to get beyond the church being your consumeristic approach to life. And maybe we need to start putting towels over our arm and not walk into the church with our cart. So, yeah. Maybe, maybe why you're not, maybe the reason why you're not feeling the event is because the event is not for you, but it's for you to pour out. And it's, it's more challenging to serve. So I expect y'all to show up. Praise God. <laughs> I, no, but this, this is what I mean. I expect you that when you walk in the door, you're meeting people, talking to people. It's not enough to show up. It's enough to serve. Right? So you're getting names of people, connecting with people, learning people. That's why we do events like that. Because we know there is a hunger in the culture, and we know that only Jesus satisfies. Yeah. But with, with that, you know, I started, I, I've said this before, I've, I started doing marriage counseling when I was single, which is wild, right? You have no practical examples to give nobody? So I've been doing marriage counseling for close to 20 years. And in doing it, it's crazy because you start connecting with people and you start, and, and, and it's amazing because people say they're in love. And when you read the Bible in 1 Corinthians, the first expression of love that Paul says is love is patient. And that's the first thing to go, is patience. 
that one of the highest expressions of loving someone is being patient with them. But the reason why people get into marriage and they are impatient is because they were impatient before marriage. They were impatient towards marriage. They're impatient in marriage and they will be impatient in divorce. And this culture that we live in where everything is fast, where food, where you can click and drag, humans don't work that way. We must relearn relationships. And that's why we have to talk about it. We must be, and we, let me just, I'm going to put my prophetic hat on. We are going to be successful in relationships at this church. We are going to be successful. We're going to be successful at relationships. Because it's one thing to talk about a subject, but we are going to help people grow. We are going to be successful in relationships. But it is not just, I'm not just saying this I mean, there, there is something about having strong families. When we walk down the street in Flatbush with my girls and I'm holding, I mean, it's amazing. People just stop and stare just from seeing a family. And when people find out I'm a pastor and we're Christians, there's a part of them that expects that, like, oh, y'all saved, that's great. You know, you love each other, that's good. But there is something that is consistently happening before people get married and as single. We have gotten way too comfortable with living in broken relationships. And if there is one thing that I want to communicate is that broken relationships invalidate our message. Because we have a message of reconciliation. That's our message. Second Corinthians chapter five, you can go there if you have your Bible or you can look on the screen or you can go to your app. Paul says to this community, he says, from now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't see people the same way based upon the fact that we've now been brought into a relationship with Christ. When you were outside of a relationship with God, you judged people based upon how they treated you alone, period. You judge them on how they looked, how they sounded. But now he says, we don't look at people in the flesh. We don't see them the same way anymore. That when I come into a relationship with God, I have new eyes and a new life and a new way of thinking. But he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and, and, 
gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Paul does us a service here in that he now details and shows us specifically what does it mean when he says he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. He says that is, in other words, he says, well, let me break this down. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And he says, this is how they did it. Not counting their trespasses against them. And in turn, entrusting to who? Us. Entrusting to who? Entrusting to who? Us. He gave me and you. He was the only one that reconciled God with the world. But he now gave all of us a ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. Look there in the middle. He tells us how this happened. We understand that men and women are born, and when they are born, they have a sin problem. This is all based upon what happened in the garden, and that we are constantly rejecting and rebelling against God. And then in order for God to bring us back into relationship, he sends his son to die on a cross for our sins, all for the sake of being back in relationship with him. So relationship did not happen without sacrifice. He then says that in order for you to understand Reconciliation, you must understand what he did. He said they were not counting their trespasses against them. That's what Jesus was doing. He wasn't counting their trespasses. That's how reconciliation was able to happen. <laughs> now, many of you are maybe not Greek scholars, but you know what a trespass is, don't you? You know what a trespass is? You know what a trespass is. You've seen the sign. It's on doors. It's everywhere. Do not trespass. And what that sign says is you cannot go beyond that line. You can't go beyond that fence. You can't go in that door. You cannot cross that line, period. And what he says is, the way that this worked is that Jesus was not counting trespasses. So all the offenses we have against God, he did not count them. Now let me just break this down so you understand. The idea of a trespass is again the imagery of having this line and having this place where we're offended. And what the imagery of the Bible is creating here is saying that counting trespasses is actually an accounting term, meaning you count. And so what it's saying is, Jesus did not always look at the offenses of people. So the ministry of reconciliation means that we do not consistently or constantly count when people are trespassing against us. Some of us have 
let's say a big yard and a big old fence and we have this big emotional do not trespass and when someone crosses over your line because y'all all got a line you know what I'm saying when someone crosses the line with you you count in fact you keep counting and every time they do something that hurts you, wounds you, even if you assume that they could be wounding you, you count. And so what disturbs, distracts, what breaks relationships is when we're always counting trespasses. And the reality is that even as we've walked into this room, you got a number on some people, you know what I'm saying? about five, that was five, five, <laughs> six. Hey girl, seven, <laughs> right, right, that's how it works. You're always counting, but you're always lonely too. You see, when you count, you can't have relationship. If you are constantly offended, you will be constantly isolated. Because you got this big old yard, you got this big emotional yard, and you're all there by yourself. And what Jesus Christ made for, as an example for us is not necessarily saying that I will not acknowledge when you've hurt me, it's that I will not hold it against you so that we can never be in relationship again. Because in order for us to be in relationship with God, someone had to die. I, I, tell, I, tell, I tell young couples all the time. It's like, well, he says this and she says that. Well, someone's going to have to die to self. I don't know. I don't know who did it. <laughs> somebody's going to have to die to self. Somebody's got to say, I'm sorry. Somebody's got to walk over. Somebody's got to call the person. Somebody's got to send the smiley emoji. Somebody's got to do something so the relationship gets back together because if two people are counting, you can be in the same house but lonely at the same time. You're going to count. All right. Well, you keep that number. That number is going to be the only thing you have. He wasn't counting. And now we sing songs about our relationship because he sacrificed for us. You know what this looks like in Luke chapter 23, verse 24. <laughs> oh man. Jesus Christ was a real person. Whether you believe he was the son of God or not, he was a real human being that walked the earth and he was actually from a small town called Nazareth and he was actually a carpenter and he actually led a tribe of people and he claimed to be the son of God. And when he made that claim, he was put on a cross the worst form of punishment, the Roman death penalty. And when this happened, Jesus, who was actually the son of God, 
was, had trumped up charges on him. Never are there stories about Jesus with adultery. Never are there stories about Jesus being a thief. Never are there stories about Jesus hurting someone physically. And yet, he is placed on a cross next to thieves and murderers. And Jesus, of all people, could have said, I can't stand being misunderstood. Oh, people just don't get me. Oh, oh man, I, 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 I would love to be in relationship, but I don't think you'll ever get me. I don't think you'll ever understand me. Jesus sacrificed his life while being radically misunderstood. And at the height of all his pain, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And here is what I love, and this is what I have to, I have to look at, this is what I have to read, this is what I have to pray through, because Jesus Christ responded to his father and he did not respond to his enemies. He blessed his enemies, but he was worshiping his father. And you know what happens, you know what I do? Sometimes I'll say something really deep and spiritual, at least I'll think it is. And I'll be like, you know what, that's cool, you know what, but I forgive you, I'm saying? <laughs> I forgive you, it's okay, it's okay. And here's why I know that's often impure. Because I say that in order to score points with them. In other words, they'll be like, they'll be like, oh, thank you. You know what? That's what I needed to hear. And then they come back into relationship. And Jesus Christ is on the cross, bleeding, dying. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they looked up and you know what they did? It says they divided up his clothes by casting lots, meaning they were taking his clothes because he was naked and they began to gamble and say, yo, you got his, you got his, uh, his, his, his shirt? Okay, I'll get his pants. Word. They started gambling for his clothes. In other words, he said, forgive. And they said, so what? They said, so what? I still don't believe, I'm not impressed. And it shows us that Jesus was so committed to the message, so committed to his father that he did not let men distract him. He knew it was enough to love them anyway. That's what makes Jesus so incredible. He was misunderstood, rejected and killed and still served and loved. That's a mighty God. Yeah. What a wonderful name it is, y'all. Are you kidding me? I get offended by the love. Yo, my emotional backyard is crazy. You offend me, I'm like, yo, I ain't even talking to you. I might even say hi, but I'm still mad at you. Like I got stuff, I got issues, okay? You better say amen, you know you got issues too. But, <laughs> And Jesus Christ, it gets killed and still forgives. And so, in a practical way, 
How can we be mature in this way? How can we grow in maturity? The Bible has given so much indication and direction about relationships. There are tons of verses. If you Google the word one another, Bible, there are tons of verses about how we should love one another, care for one another, serve one another, pray for one another, constantly talking about one another because the Bible realizes it's not enough just to proclaim the message. The message is our relationships. The Bible says in John, the way the world will know you is by our love for one another. The message is our relationships. It's not enough for you to communicate the message but have broken relationships. The message is our relationships. And so the Bible gives practical, practical, practical insights about this. One of the things mature do as they talk privately about offenses. Matthew chapter 19, verse 15. This is what it says. If your brother sins against you, this is what it tells you to do. Go post it on Twitter. <laughs> make sure you think through something real sarcastic and petty. And make sure you tell your friends you posted it. But don't tell them but make sure you make them try to figure out what you were trying to say. Yeah, go and subtweet till you feel better about yourself. Yeah, that one, that one, oh, that's not what it says. Tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Talk privately about it. And one of the greatest challenges we have, and I, I don't think I've ever even talked or used the word millennial a lot, but I'm gonna just say this now, because I love you. Millennials are some of the most relationally passive people I've ever met in my life. You, you grew up with, I didn't grow up with email. I literally did not grow up with email. My senior year in college, I got an email. <laughs> like when I say I used, to, I used to get online to get a class for college, I was talking about a physical line, yo. <laughs> like human beings were in front of me. Y'all were in your drawers clicking and dragging. And you, listen, you have grown up, I'm just being honest with you. Other generations have other issues, but I'm talking about y'all. You have grown up with a barrier in communication that is helpful in, in, in moments. It's helpful for information, but it is horrible for relationships. And so you think adding a emoticon will make it better. They're like, let me put a bunch of smiley faces so they know what I really mean. Go talk to them. And the Bible is saying that when you talk privately, it decreases the amount that this person is not only going to get offended, 
but it decreases the amount that you actually will come in with all your assumptions. Because what happens is when you only talk to your friends, when you only think about it on your own, you start living with all your assumptions and thoughts. And the Bible says to think on things that are true and are lovely. And you start thinking things about that person that aren't true and aren't lovely, but you good. And it's so funny. And this happens a million times over. People talk tough with their friends, but you get real soft in when you have to talk to them one-on-one. You, you are, you're a Twitter thug. Yeah. You are an email champ, but it's different when you're having to be eye to eye. And this is what I want to encourage you. Be courageous. Be courageous. Sit down. It, it's hard. I know it's hard. Relationships are hard. It's hard. It's hard. Well, you're like, well, they, well, you know, this person is just such and such. I'm telling you, you, you're minimizing the relationship because you don't want to feel as bad about it. But if it's bothering you and you know it's bothering them, you need to talk to them. You need to call them and you need to set up an appointment. If you can't do FaceTime, if you don't, we have a zillion apps where you could be eye to eye. There is a way where you can talk eye to eye. And I want, to, I want to just have a spirit of courage over you to grow in relationships, not by reading a book and not by waiting on some hero boyfriend or girlfriend that are going to make all your issues dissolve away. I'm saying the way you grow in strength in relationships is by dealing with conflict consistently in your life. Private. Private. Go. Bible also says, um, you know, I, I ended up, I didn't end up putting it on there, but um, I'll just tell you this in Matthew chapter five, verse 23. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I didn't have it in my notes. Uh, Jesus is talking about relationships right here. This, what I'm about to read to you, because even as I say to you private, you know, some of you are like, ooh, I know I should do that. This, what I'm about to read to you, is one of the most countercultural things you can read. It is countercultural. Your parents might not have done it. Your friends might not have done it. Countercultural. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and so at that time, it could have been a bull or a goat or a pigeon, but they were offering it up. At this time, it's your money, it's your praise, it's being here, it's serving in the back, it's loving people, it's doing all these things where you're offering yourself up to God, like, oh God, I love you, what a beautiful name, I'm singing songs. You are offering up praises, worship, a gift unto God. But while you are giving your gift to God, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. So it's so deep because at that time they'd have had the bull up there. You know, he's pulling the bull up. You know, you get the bull up on the altar and they're just, and he's like, oh, snap. And just dip. And just leave it right there. He's like, okay, leave it right there at the altar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is he saying? Essentially, God is more glorified in you having whole relationships. And, uh, and this is, 
When God says, give me your best, and you think best is just lifting your hand or serving here in church, but you know you've hurt someone or someone is offended by you, that's not your best. Giving to relationships is your best. That's your best. And so he says, first, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. I love the Lord. He's like, now come back to that, that bull that you had and, and give that up too. Praise God. First go and be reconciled to them. This is, the way you grew up is the way I grew up. The way you think is the way I think. If you mad, that's your fault. That's what I think. Well, you know, they're mad. What's this? They haven't called me, so, okay. <laughs> well, I heard that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really hurt by what you said. Oh. That's, it's hard. It's going to make them stronger, I think. <laughs> the way I grew up, and the way you grew up, and the way I think, and the way you think. It's just natural. If you have a problem, it's on you. And until you have the courage to come to me, you, you struggle. They're struggling, you're like, so? Uh. And do you know what the Bible is essentially saying there? Is that the mature will pursue the weak. The spiritually mature will pursue the weak or the one that their weaknesses come out because of a certain situation, you will pursue them. You know what I saw this week? Crazy video. Some of y'all saw it. A bunch of people watched a man drown. A disabled man drown. They actually made fun of him while he was drowning. And they took a video of it. And they said, too bad. Your problem is our entertainment. And how is that any different than when you know someone is drowning in their emotions, hurt, frustrated, and you know it has you, you have something to do with it. You are watching them drown spiritually. And you're just cool. You're just like, hey, that's, they're going to have to learn how to tread water. They're going to have to figure that out. But unfortunately, the Bible doesn't tell of a community that's about individual strength. The spirit works in a corporate setting. It's not enough that you are individually strong. We lift as we climb. True spiritual strength isn't that you're strong. It's that you can be strong enough to strengthen others. True spiritual strength. It's not enough that you are spiritually strong. It's that you can strengthen others. Because is that not what Jesus did on the cross? He died for our benefit. And that meeting will be hard. 
you'll die a little. Your perspective will change a little. You'll sit there and go, oh, I didn't even think of it that way. And you will grow in humility because you made the call, you sent the email to set up a meeting. You will grow. Folks talking about they want to grow. I got a plan for your growth, (laughs) boo-boo. Sit down, think of all the people that this, you might be in this, and get meetings with them all. Whoop, you're going to grow. (laughs) You're going to grow that night, doc. That's a problem in America. We think growth means because you got more knowledge. Knowledge and growth. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. Then love builds up. So the Bible says if you take knowledge and use that knowledge for the benefit of others, you're actually growing. But if you take knowledge and you use it to impress people, you're actually immature. No, knowledge that blesses, loves. So this is countercultural. That, you, spiritual growth, you are a spiritual champion, elite. You on the elite level when you start doing stuff like this. I can quote the book of Leviticus, do this. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Romans 12, 18 says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this verse. This verse is so helpful because it's conditional. It's saying that not everyone is going to be in a reconciled relationship. It says, it essentially tells me that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. That I can forgive someone and that does not mean that they're in a position where they're actually going to try to rock with me over time. Okay, the question is, did I do everything I can do? As far as it depends on me. Okay, did I try to get a meeting? Okay, did I follow up with that meeting? Okay, I, spent, I mean, there are people that I have been calling for years. Years. And the only reason I continue is that I'm asking myself, have I done everything I can do? Because I believe that Jesus did everything he could do. That he gave his whole self. I was saying this to the men the other week. I have a, a, hopefully he's not listening, but if he is, he needs to hear this. I have a cousin who's mad at me right now. Over things I didn't even know I did. And he told me over text. He was like, yo, I'm mad at you. I'm like, oh, word? Oh, let's talk. Didn't want to talk. Starts telling people in the family, he's mad at me. They're like, why is such a mad at you? I'm like, I don't know. He don't talk to me. So I'm like, not defending my name. I go to the family reunion. And I, and I did, I, I told my wife, I did kind of thought, I, I did not. <laughs> I want to say I walked up to him very peaceably. That's not the case. It wasn't hard. It was just not soft. It wasn't gentle. But, you know, I was like, yo, man, yo, you know, we talk sometime. He's like, yeah, you know, we need to talk. I was like, but we need to talk about what you texted me the other day, you know. And we're talking. He's like, yeah, well, you know, it's cool. I was like, but it's not cool. You know, and I just felt myself, you know, just. (laughs) And it was so hard because one of the weirdest things is when someone is mad at you but acts like they're not mad. 
And I'm like, but I'm not the one mad, but you mad. Oh my God. So I was like, you know, so I'm just losing my mind. And so finally we end up talking and he keeps saying it's all good. I'm like, well, stop gossiping about me. Hey. Come on, man. And we're still not really good. But I, I said, yo, let's talk again the next day. After our reunion was over, I waited in the parking lot for an hour and a half. Not only did dude not show up, he didn't send the, my bad text. He didn't call. So two days later, I called him on some, oh, yo, you never showed up. Oh, yeah, you know, life, the sun, the moon, the star, you know, all this other stuff happened. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about it. You know, and we just kept talking and talking and talking. And he's like, yo, we'll just, we'll never be back to where we were. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But I'm going to call him again. And I'm exhausted. I don't even know if I like him no more. But... <laughs> But we're not at peace. And I want to do, I, I want to have the refreshing idea of knowing, having a clear conscience that I did everything I could for peace. Even to the point of exhaustion. Because I believe that's what Jesus did for me. But let me just share this one last point. <coughs> found in the book of James. James asks a very powerful question. In James chapter 3, he says, who, who is wise and understanding among you? Isn't that a deep question? Look around the community and ask yourself, who's wise? Who should you listen to? Who should you take advice from? Who should you think to yourself, I need to go to this person. Who should you do that with? James asks this question. Because oftentimes, reconciliation doesn't happen because of bad advice. Because people speak into their life and tell them, you don't need to talk to them. They're wilding. You need to deal with them. He says, here's how you understand wisdom. By his, meaning the person who is wise, good conduct, let him show you his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and it's demonic. When you have people who are encouraging you in any way to not pursue reconciled relationships with friends, with the church, even with your coworkers, if you have someone giving you that kind of wisdom, and let me just pause before I say this, the reason why it's called wisdom because it makes sense. You, you'll be like, bet, that's good, that's good. I got you. 
And he says, this kind of wisdom is actually demonic. Because the devil, who is an actual being, is a spiritual being that is all about rebellion. And he leads people in rebellion. And so just as we have a message of reconciliation, understand this. Division is the devil's message. Gossip is the devil's message. Hearsay is the devil's message. Backbiting is the devil's message. Any kind of encouragement, insight to you that makes you feel better but leaves the relationship broken and hurting is not from above. It is earthly and demonic. And that person, I don't care how many verses they quote, I don't care how long they've been in the faith, I don't care what they've done in the faith, if they are not causing you to pursue people in love, they have as deep of an issue with demons as a person turning their head around and spitting out green stuff. I'm telling you, you wanna look for demons, look for the divisive people in our community. I, you know, we got people, I, I'm just looking for the demonic. Look for the people. You want to look for the demonic. You want to, I know, you know, the demonic, it's in dream. Yes, demonic can happen that way. But the de- work of the demonic can also happen when people are keeping relationships broken. That's Demonic. And it should be treated with that kind of energy. That when you hear someone talking about people for the entertainment of a room, treat it like it's demonic. When you have people who are saying, don't go talk to them, you know, you know how they are, treat it like it's demonic. If you are married and someone at your job who probably isn't married or is divorced, is giving you any kind of advice that doesn't end in reconciliation, treat it like it's demonic. Because godly wisdom is God's wisdom. And it means that we will pursue relationships. And let me be clear, at Bridge Church, we will be great at relationships because we sue a great God. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the work in our lives. We thank you for the wisdom that comes from above. We thank you for the God of heaven and earth. And Holy Spirit, I pray tonight that we are thinking in our minds of that Matthew chapter five passage. Is there anyone that may be hurt because of me, whether intentional or unintentional. Oh, let us leave the gift at the altar and let us be reconciled in Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. 
Thanks again for listening to this week's message.